Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali was held from the 10th to the 13th of April. If you missed it, don't worry. Go to vinitaliplus.com for on-demand recordings of all the sessions from the exhibition. Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2pm Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Good afternoon, everyone. I have to say it's not as fulfilling uh, doing a Zoom virtually from California when I was just in Italy on Friday in Milan and not together with you, um, sharing some wonderful wine, some wonderful stories. That being said, I am saying that I miss all of you and uh, I'm glad to be back again this year. I'd like to walk into a a regular presentation with my jet lag and uh, start a conversation here. Hopefully today I'm gonna finish up a little early. I'd actually like to have a lot more questions um, since, um, you know, I'm not there in person, I'd like to actually make this as interactive as possible. So I'm going to go a little faster than usual because I really want to hear from everybody, uh, as we go forward. So we are in another year where I'm fortunate enough to talk to you about the future. It seems to be a pattern, a good pattern as well. I don't know about you guys, but I've had an incredibly long year, um, incredibly long 18 months, uh, to be really fair. It's been a challenge for all of us. And, and Fortunately, I think that we all see some hope on the horizon there. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate to travel for the first time in two years. Like I said, I was in Milan and London last week. Uh, and despite all the heavy duty paperwork, it felt like the world was coming back to life. It felt like we were starting to get to normalcy again. But, you know, as I've always said, we live in really an amazing industry. Um, Italy itself is just stunningly beautiful, not only in the countryside and and the wines, but especially the people. You're one of the most magical uh, cultures on the planet as it relates to loving life, loving food, loving wine. But while we've been sitting here, while we've been pumping along over the last couple of decades, the reality is that the world has changed around us. It's changed significantly decade after decade. And wine has stayed rooted in yesterday, rooted in the land, rooted in the seasons, and rooted in the tradition of winemaking. We are annual thinkers. We think on a regular basis with the seasons. Um, We make wine once a year, and we only have one chance to do it. And then something made us change for the first time in history. We were touched by this terrible (laughs) global pandemic called COVID, Um, which had long and lasting impacts on our industry. The first one is it really made us wake up. It made us adapt. It made us think differently about the world. It made us try to do things for the first time. And really, the entire wine industry was awake. It wasn't just consumers, but it was also wineries, wholesalers, and retailers. The entire scope of the wine industry is now online for the first time in history. I've stood on stage in front of you guys for multiple years telling you how much I believed in digital. But in all reality, I didn't actually think I'd see it in my lifetime. I didn't, and I'm not an old man, not yet at least. 
Um, I really didn't think I would live to see the day that we adopted online. But in every single country, including Italy, the consumers jumped ahead almost a decade in use cases, three to four years right out of the gate. But now over the last year, we've continued to accelerate in using online tools. This is no surprise. We were actually already using the online tools. Two and a half years ago when I was in Italy, a small anecdotal story, I was asking uh, someone why they did not use the internet for purchasing, and they said they didn't trust it. Two weeks ago when I was in Milan, they said, we are all using the internet. We're learning how to sell online. What a small change in just a short, what a great change, I mean, in just a short amount of time. And what this means for consumers is there's a new normal. I'm not going to read all the different details here. You'll have this slide for yourself. But the most important part is really this kind of fundamental use of digital. And as I've stood on stage in front of you guys and said, how many of you have a smartphone? How many of you use Google? How many of you use Facebook? You know, how many of you buy online? Every one of you raised your hands for the most part. We were all digital users. We were all eating and drinking and believing in this for a long time. Now it's something that's brought into our wine industry forever. Now, there have been changes, some major ones. Some of those major changes are tied to things like faster delivery or the fact that we can work from home and as a result, you know, enjoy different services that come with the home, like watching a movie the same day it comes out uh, in theaters at our home theater. The ability to enjoy bottles and glasses of wine while we're doing that in a different way has added that, that new expression of home consumption. There's going to be lots of changes to come. These are just a few. But we know that the future is changing faster and faster for our industry when it's been hold dormant for decades. And some of this new normal includes lots of new technologies. I know Stevie Kim is a gigantic fan of Clubhouse. That thing didn't exist before. You know, jumping into an online phone call, uh, you know, group call was not something I had ever thought of. Zooms have been around before the pandemic, and yet here they are as one of the bigger um, tools in the world and creating their own platform. And I, if you haven't watched a TikTok lately, it's quite addictive. And then also delivery, again, delivery tools like DoorDash. Two years ago, if you asked if you would deliver your restaurant to your door, it wasn't very many people that did that and the food wasn't very good. Now major restaurants are trying to learn and adapt and understand how to make their food warm from the time they cook it to the time it hits your door at home. Major changes, and that includes wine too, by the way. But these boom has happened, you know, not just with consumers, the boom has happened with wineries. Um, my friend Rob McMillan, who's also presented here, has been talking about using digital, using DTC, um, but we've seen a huge growth in the US and around the world in e-commerce. That hasn't just happened with wineries, retailers have had explosive growth, wine.com, uh, I think Wink is going public here in the next few months, Duckhorn, everyone is having booms in different groups of uh, online sales. And wholesalers, in the United States, wholesalers have been very resistant to the internet. And finally, they've really adopted it with either proof from Southern Glaciers or RNDC and LibDiv, creating this whole new e-wholesale category. And even in the UK, you're finding wholesalers selling in different new universal ways that are either DTC or using digital tools to sell to retailers and restaurants. It's transformative everywhere. And what causes that transformation? What is the basis point of that? Well, it can be boiled down into three basic things, people, processes, and programs. There's a great article by Joe Fatterini. If you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend you go um, on the buyer.net and look up uh, his uh, Man and Machines article that talks about this. But everything, everything starts with people. Um, in, in the audience you have right there is one of uh, the famous all-stars, Paulie Hammond, who I just recommended um, as one of the wine industry leaders to a recent magazine. But what we're seeing is these people are driving new changes. And the two changes are on two sides. One side is direct-to-consumer basic digital activities. So whether it's Justin Nolan 
um, at Treasury or John Troutman at Constellation. And on the other side is this whole new category of e-wholesale, people that are helping manage e-commerce through companies like Instacart, like Vivino, um, like uh, uh, Target.com, making gigantic changes in how they look at this virtual shelf around the world. And when they're asking the questions, they ask really two questions. Are you driving eyeballs or are you driving cases? Those are the true metrics that you can look through the world about digital. Is it driving eyeballs or cases? And processes. Well, you can't run a business without good processes. And we've learned very quickly that a lot of the processes that we had built around digital were not really ready for prime time. So we had to recalibrate and re-understand how we did fulfillment or customer service or how when a customer came to us and we walked them through the journey map, meaning that when they walked through the tasting room door or they called us on our telephone, what did we do? How did we treat them all the way through purchase and then back again? You know, what tools did we enable them to do that? That's mapping the journey. Um, we also learned about tools that didn't work. This is a famous story to the right here um, of Alder Yarrow, a famous wine blogger, also on our board of advisors, going to a winery and talking to their chatbot, and the chatbot is not answering for days. Many wineries learned that the tools that they had set up because they didn't have them processed and oriented to handle customers failed. And we're recalibrating and reanalyzing every one of those pieces. We're also looking at processes of wine clubs, right? Wine clubs used to be very simply a paid sampling program, but we started to look outside the world to see what kind of wine clubs do we want to have? What do they mean? How do we enable them? What are the processes that we want to differentiate when we have a wine club? I know in Italy, it's not quite as mature, but the reality of it is, is even around the world in European nations, when the wine club was not as avid of a, a, a sales channel, you guys are starting to look at it. It's happening everywhere, whether it's New Zealand or Australia, whether it's England or France, people are reanalyzing direct to consumer because they found during the pandemic that those tools help them relate, interact and engage with consumers. And then even the process of how do we talk to consumers? How do we talk to them across the ocean? Um, you know, whether it's in the box and at the opening, that experience, whether it's text messaging or whether it's more Zooms, you know, by the way, I'm so zoomed out. Um, again, I wish I was with you instead of here um, and doing a Zoom uh, meeting from far away. And then finally, programs. Everyone thinks that we should start with adding programs and software. Software is the last tool. Software is a shovel, essentially, and it helps you scale. And if you put a software in too early, it helps exacerbate problems. But we're reanalyzing all the software tools to help us move forward, whether that's CRM or marketing automation, that's customer data, platforms, what integrates all the different information about your customers or something called a data lake. All of these different tools are happening around us. And the good news for the wine industry is they're not new. They're actually pretty mature. They're actually pretty commoditized. So they're very inexpensive now to go sign up for a tool. What they're not inexpensive about is the knowledge to use them, the knowledge deficit that we all need to capture out, right? And, the, and by spending money, by the way, on all these tools, we can see growth. If you look at countries that innovate, they spend more money on R&D. If you look at companies that innovate, they spend more on R&D. And the good news again for the wine industry as a result of the pandemic is that many companies are investing in infrastructure. They're spending millions and millions of dollars to do better jobs to help you as wineries do better, to make the tools that you use cheaper. That's a beautiful thing. Commoditizing and making it easier for you to access to expensive tools to actually do better digital communication. And whether that's open table adding wineries to the thing or special e-commerce tools like Commerce 7 that I've talked about years and years ago, 
or Corbin adding a new restaurant tool so that people can pour glasses of wine without making the wines go bad quickly. All these different things, Wine Depot moving from Australia to the UK for better fulfillment for B2B. All of these things are good for the industry. Or whether it's delivering more eyeballs and cases to you, whether it's my good friend Heine who's in the stage there and doing a great job, or companies like um, Provi in the United States who are acting as a digital wholesaler, or even my new company, Pix, which is our job is to help connect buyers and sellers. We are all spending millions of dollars to make it easier for consumers to find wine. That's only good for you. And hopefully a lot of them will succeed. And even the ones that don't succeed will drive better communication of wine for consumers and build a better industry. But as I've said, we're starting from a deficit. We're not starting from zero. We're starting from negative 20 in years. We're starting from, and in, in the years, that's negative 200, right? So the internet has moved very fast. So instead of just telling you what the future is going to be like, let me tell you how you can do a little better and give you some tips from down south for me. So again, the future is bright for us. This is going to be the best time ever. It's also going to be not only the best time, it's going to be the hardest time as we have to learn very fast, but it will be the golden age of wine online. So I like to look from other examples. I look outside of wine whenever I do anything to try to understand how I can take understandings and tips to make my job better in the wine industry or how to make the wine industry better. In fact, much of PIX is designed not by what we think is best for the wine industry, but we've learned from other industries like Amazon.com, Netflix, um, you know, OpenTable. How do we make a better job for you as wineries? Those are all great Silicon Valley learnings, arguably one of the best innovation centers in the world. So let's go through some 12 tips. Tip number one. We need to be obsessed with customer centricity. Everything starts with the customer. I know we want to make the wines we want to make. That's fine. It's okay that we do that. But how do we deliver those wines to the people that want to drink them? How do we find those people? How do we make every part about how we connect to them about them, right? How do we make them understand those wines in different ways? That customer centricity is the way that Silicon Valley leads everything. Tip number two. Job to be done, JTBD, it's an acronym, I know, crazy. This is a very big philosophy in Silicon Valley, which is our job, or a job is not to sell the pieces or the parts, our job is to deliver an example. So people don't buy drills to own a drill, people buy drills to make a hole. People buy, don't buy skateboard parts to own skateboard parts. People buy skateboard parts to skate and have fun and enjoy life, right? And there's a hierarchy of all kinds of different needs that are meant to be fulfilled, whether those are functional, emotional, life-changing or adding social you know, impact. Those are all elements of jobs to be done for consumers. What makes their heart ring, right? I already watched last night at 3 a.m. because I had insomnia. Robert Joseph, let's not target their palates, let's target their hearts. So instead of writing tasting notes, because that's what not what consumers buy, consumers buy enjoyment of the product, enjoyment of the beverage. In, in fact, we don't deliver wine to people, we deliver joy. Let me reframe that for you. We don't deliver wine to people. We deliver joy and happiness and camaraderie. We are the best social drink that's ever been built in the history of mankind. And our job is to connect people and times of happiness. Silicon Valley companies are always digital first. They start with digital because they know that's how the customers. So instead of looking at digital as a project, think of it as the first touch point that a consumer is going to have with you. Think about the first thing that you build and how do they get them to you in a real world experience. They think about data. I've told about data over and over again. I'm sure that you've seen lots of slides today with data. And we talk about bigger words like big data you know, or data lakes. Really, you can collect small data to get insights. But learning to be data proficient, 
to have understandings about data will fundamentally make your business better because then you understand your customer. And by understanding your customer, you're customer centric. And by being customer centric, you keep them and you sell more to them, right? Retention is the new acquisition. That's what we learned during the pandemic. Let me say that again. Retention is the new acquisition. Nail it and scale it. This is a funny little um, a phrase. I, so these are two um, titles to a book that was made quite a few years ago. Uh, they actually made three titles. Um, they went out to Google and they spent uh, $200 in advertising. They tested these three titles to see which one would be the best. So I'm going to name the two that weren't chosen and the third that was, and you'll get a small example. So Broadband and the White Sand, that's a very terrible title, by the way. The Millionaire's Chameleon, also a terrible title. But the one that succeeded was The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, a book that many of you have probably read. If not, it's a great book. Uh, it talks about escaping the, the day of working hard, which unfortunately in the States is much more our pattern. But what that says is he went out and he tested these three different books, and the one that won became the winner. So before he went out and put this title on the book, he did $200 of tests of those Google AdWords and showed them to different people so they could see which one they clicked on more. We can do that on again and again. We can test ways that we talk about our marketing. We can try different labels. We can try different flavor profiles, different people, different pictures, and get a feedback loop, you know, and then scale it. So try small, go big. We do this at PIX all the time. Right now we're testing different keywords to see what words resonate with consumers. Is it words about flavor? Is it words about style? Is it words about heart? And which words hit their nerve endings to actually get better returns on the results? Doesn't cost much to do something that great. Measure what matters, right? Measurement's important. If we're not measuring, how are we succeeding? And also we need to crawl, walk, run. This is a great chart I know will be given to you in the deck about how you grow and think about the way that you're measuring the different parts of your business. Too many people try to run to the end. You can always start small and build upon it first. And you build on your metrics again and again that go larger and larger and from small qualitative stuff, like talking to the consumer, to high volume, high data stuff, to uh, quantitative at the top and all kinds of different math equations. But know that these math equations can make your company worth more money. You know, the subscription economy has actually been around for a long time. We invented it, for God's sakes. The wine industry invented it. But since then, many other industries have adopted it, and they're using mathematical ways of measuring it that are incredible. ARR, churn. These math equations that I'm showing you, instead of getting a 3x on your business, you can get a 10 to 15x on your business by using just this simple math equation if you have a wine club. That's simple, right? By using this simple math equation, you can get a higher multiple on what you measure. Crazy. Blue ocean strategy. Do something different than your competition. It doesn't have to be making different wine. It could be, but it could be a way you market. It could be the way you put your box out. It could be the way you follow up with customer service. It could be the way that your website expresses yourself and tells a different story. Because the problem that we have in the wine industry right now is we're all saying the same thing. Whether we're all saying family-owned, we're all saying Torah, we're all saying sustainable, organic. When everyone is saying the same thing, none of us are different. So you need to move into a differentiated area of the business and say what is yours, and you can own that market. I know we are very scared of failing in the wine industry. We have one chance to make wine, um, but another tip in Silicon Valley is fail forward. You know, success is not a straight line. Success is lots of failures and fixing yourself, dusting yourself off, and getting up again. So there is no success proven for any single winery. There's no human on the planet that can tell you exactly how to do digital right. 
because every brand is different, every situation is different, and they have to learn and test and fail forward. If you ask Paulie in the audience to tell the exact perfect formula for your winery, she'll say, let's work and find it out together. And she will find it out because she will fail and succeed and measure to get to the other side. But failing forward is scary for us as a culture because we make wine, and if we fail, we lose all of that wine. We need to learn to implement that into our processes. I got bad news. It's going to cost us money to get to the other side. And, uh, you know, for a while, it'll feel like we're not making money. In fact, we're losing money in many ways. But by investing tomorrow, there'll be an inflection point that that end state where I will have a faster revenue growth with the same team will grow 10 times faster because the magic of technology is that it allows humans to scale at an unprecedented amount. We get many, many different consumers that into the path. And by investing, by the way, we will be able to do better. I never expect you to invest the amount that Amazon does, which is 23% of their business. But every little investment we make into tomorrow will be a foundation of better, right? I'm not just talking about investing in production. It's about investing in knowledge. It's about investing in tools that help us scale and move forward. And they won't all work. Amazon's investments don't all work. But when they do, they go very far. It's time to bring in the experts. Look at these eight people on this screen. They are amazing CEOs and growth managers of digital companies. There's not a single person within this conference right now that will hire any of these people to make wine for you. Why? Because they know nothing about making wine. Nothing. Why would we do that? So why do we take people that know very little or nothing about digital and growth and all those and hire them to run that part? We have to pay real money and have real experts. That's going to cost more than we expect. You know, if we pay peanuts, we get monkeys is an old saying in the United States. Our job is to really hire the best of the best so that we can actually grow our market. And it will cost money for time. But if we don't bring in experts and teach them wine, but bring in wine people and teach them technology, we're going to fail again and again and again. And Silicon Valley knows that they hire experts. Building loyalty. Look, again, as I said this, this over the pandemic, what we learned more than anything else is tension is actually more important than acquisition. Retention is more important than acquisition, and we need to build loyalty to have retention. So we have to consider what is the value exchange that we're constantly making with a consumer, with a retailer, with a restaurant that gets them to buy from us again and again. And when I say the value exchange, it's not just the great magical juice that we put in the bottle. It's above and beyond that that makes them choose us over hundreds of thousands of different products, over hundreds of thousands of different producers. It's a tough world. And as I've said, it's before on stage, it is the most competitive wine market in human history, and it's going to get more competitive every day. We need to continue to look at that. The subscription economy is perfect for retention. Learning about this is key for us. And then finally, the last thing I'll leave you with is the total cost of ownership. Once we invest in technology and in digital and in the future, it doesn't stop. It's a forever money pit, unfortunately. And the good news is, if we pay it down constantly like a credit card, it doesn't get out of control, right? But if we don't keep investing in it, what we have is we end up with more and more and more debt. As an example, when you launch a website, you don't just launch a website and then come back three years later and then update, you update it all the time. You're paying down that debt. But that debt doesn't just apply to the softwares that we implement, the digital programs that we do. Then in, it replies to the knowledge of the people that we have, because if there's a knowledge debt, if our people don't know how to use Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, if our people don't know how to use CRM or digital ads on Google, we are behind the curve and that debt sometimes becomes almost impossible. And we are facing that right now. And that debt is sometimes irreversible and damageable. And more than anyone else in the world, California 
And recently, uh, Greece understood that. By not putting down debt we had in California, upgrading our PG&E, when it went down, it burned half the state. A terrible, terrible fires. But if none of these tips mean anything or it hits your nerve endings, you know, we can always lean back on my friend Gary Vaynerchuk. He doesn't always say everything right, but he, this is one of his best ever statements, which is, if you don't have anything else, if you care about the customer, you will always win. And all these tools, all these things I told you are here, scaffolds to help you care. But also, the last thing I will leave you with is the great awakening they have in the wine industry wasn't about all of the digital tools. What it was is that we realized something that everyone else has learned, that the only thing that's constant is change. Forever and ever, while wine will remain the same and making it will adjust slowly and differently, the reality is the world of how we buy it, how we see it, will constantly be changing forever. And for us to succeed, we also have to learn to change because Darwinism is about our inability to change. So please continue to learn to change with me and everyone else. And I'm opening for questions now. So thank you very much. Okay. Any questions out there from the audience? I'm happy to take any. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So uh, we in PIX have uh, moved away from, uh, in our snapshots of wine, away from scores because a certain segment of our consumers said very heavily that they like scores, but it was a very small cohort of the entire consumer audience. Uh, so we met with our friends at Netflix and they said they moved away from scores and they moved completely into meta tags. So if you go to Netflix and you highlight over a movie, you'll see um, gritty drama, rom-com, um, you know, sci-fi adventure, you know, dark mystery, all of these words that help describe a snapshot so we moved into those snapshot words, um, and we've been testing them on. And so the words that resonate, um, you know, highest actually really are texture words and texture words that have a human uh, expression, right? Um, supple, you know, uh, let me think of another one that's, that's an amazing word out there. Um, elegant, but words that are like, uh, they express human qualities are what really drives that piece. So um, elegant. Um, those, that's where someone sees the second set of words, not because they actually drive uh, consumers from shoppers to buyers, are words about flavor. They just feel like they need to know a little bit about what tastes. And then the last words are story words. Story words where they either feel um, it is, re represents them, so BIPOC winemaker, um, sustainable, organic, regenerative, um, old vine, or um, words that represent what they feel themselves being in. Uh, wines to barbecue, wines to impress, uh, wines that uh, make you happy, wines you've never, you know, uh, wines for, um, uh, you know, a, a romantic dinner. That way they could imagine themselves in that situation. They could imagine themselves being part of that process. So, yes, any other good questions back there? I would love some ones. Oh, good. Another question. Yeah, so it's interesting. So I think that we forget that e-commerce is not the biggest channel in the world. Physical retail is. And I'm, I am a gigantic e-commerce believer. Um, but fundamentally, consumers are looking at many different factors. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, buying wine online is tied to their availability of getting it or oftentimes for, around price structures, right? So trying to find it for the most inexpensive price or trying to find what they can't get or trying to find a situation to buy wine. I want a wine that will impress my boss and I need help with it or a tool. Uh, it's also about discovery. 
Um, you know, that's what the internet provides unlimited opportunities to do is discover wines. But they also look for things like fastest delivery. Trust is a big factor associated with that. Uh, seamless checkout, making it easy, easy, easy trust and speed. But I don't think we should fight with speed, by the way, um, because that is, um, uh, we are a luxury product. Our job is to provide luxury service and, you know, give a, a, a asymmetrical approach to how we deliver the wine, uh, which they care about. It not being hot, not being burned, not being broken. Um, but also when people search on e-commerce, sometimes they're not actually looking to buy. Sometimes they're looking for price shopping or get it locally down the street, you know, and understand more pieces about the factor. So e-commerce is a pretty wide category. And I think that we forget again, because we're all kind of in love with it. And it has so much release of dollars that it's not the only way people like to buy. In fact, they have many, many other ways that they look at the world. And it's just another lens and it still needs to improve, but there's still magic in a physical place. I think you remember a few years ago when I was on stage talking about digitally native vertical brands, DNVBs, and I was telling you that these brands that launched online, like Allbirds Shoes, like Warby Parker Glasses, actually were opening up physical locations. We're actually um, making it so that people could go in there, put the glasses on their face, put the shoes on their feet, and feel them. I think you'll see a lot more of that. This, this kind of blended model is the future. You know, we are not digital humans. We are a physical reality. Um, how can we make that experience well better? I think it's the key. Yeah, there's a new question. Let me read it out loud. It says, do the words that consumers react to differ by generational gap? Older consumers who grow up with the blind spectator versus millennials, how did the digital that reaches all of their... So no question, the gap between um, consumers skews for ratings and reviews towards an older audience who grew up with them and understood them differently and didn't have the library of Alexandria in their pocket, right? The iPhone is an unlimited tool to find things. It's also a noisy tool, to be fair. It's, you can look up Chardonnay right now. Oh, there we go. You can look up Chardonnay right now and it has so many different things. It could be Chardonnay the grape, Chardonnay the color, Chardonnay the wine, which Chardonnay? Chardonnay for my wife's winery, Donham. Um, you know, uh, and that younger crew, including myself, I'm a Gen X guy. We are definitely digital natives and we understand how to use these tools to find answers that we want. And we also understand that certain people don't feed our needs state. We're trying to find different solutions than a simplified score. Unfortunately, because of score inflation, the, the, the 100 point system has become very much smaller. It's still very relevant. It still moves cases in a super important way. Heine's uh, uh, peer-based reviews, also helpful um, in a different way, but also because it has such a limited subset of, of reviews, it generally gamuts the pace between 3.7 and 4.2, which is also a small center, right? Just the way that people generally do consumer reviews, you find the same thing applies on Amazon scores. Um, also limiting helpful, um, and doesn't really give you the, the full answer. Um, I think people are looking for different ways to understand their buying decisions. Those were great questions, by the way, everyone. Thank you so much. Well, if you guys want, I'll, I think you guys should go uh, take a peek at Pix.Wine and uh, tell us how we can do better. Um, we just launched openly in, in Milan last Friday, um, and uh, this is the worst it's ever going to look like. It's only going to get better from here. And if you're a winery, it's free to list. If you're a retailer, it's free to list. Just come out, reach out to us. We're happy to, to help out. Um, we really want to connect buyers and sellers and make a new, more democratized wine world. Okay, with that, I think that, uh, oh, no more questions. Thank you so much. I hope everyone has an amazing rest of your wine to wine. Next year, I'll see you in person. 
um, and uh, hopefully we'll share a glass of wine together. Okay, thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. Remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.